Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That sucked in a lot of amateur participants who then ended up holding the bag when the whole thing collapsed. Welcome to episode 50 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the failed crypto asset, Terra UST. In early May, the world watched as one of the biggest names in cryptocurrency imploded. Once valued at $400 billion, Terra UST was a stablecoin that sought to transform the cryptocurrency market for the future. Instead, investors were left watching in dismay as its market value dropped by almost 99% all the way down to under 500 million within 24 hours. That dramatic fall put pressure on investors who began offloading their holdings, which quickly led to a flood of panic selling, causing the unthinkable, a massive crypto crash. Online, people shared their horror stories. Some lost thousands. Others lost hundreds of thousands. One investor who lost more than $450,000 posted online, I will lose my home soon. I'll become homeless. On and on, personal stories flooded into social media. These were normal working people who had families, who had kids, now stood to lose everything they had. The crash didn't just leave thousands of investors in a financial bind, it also sent some of them into a dark mental space. Things got so bleak that the subreddit forum, Terra Luna, which had over 44,000 members, had a pinned post with a number to a suicide hotline for its users. Welcome to the story of the spectacular collapse of Terra. Birth on the blockchain in 2020. Death spiraling by May of 2022. We're doing a special episode on cryptocurrency today. But before we get into this, I must preface this. I am no crypto expert, nor did I become one after doing this episode. In fact, there were times when I went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out the jargon and explanations behind blockchain technology and how this complex yet essential machine has disrupted so many industries and reshaped how we think about money. 
which is why I was excited to bring in Amit Malakhan, adjunct professor at Columbia University, who teaches blockchain and crypto. His tagline is that he spent almost a decade being confused about crypto so that you don't have to be. And luckily for us, he'll be breaking things down further. My interest in covering this case study is that for one, it was a spectacular, dramatic fall from grace. So much that many investors and speculators refer to this as the crypto world's Lehman moment, referring to Lehman Brothers bankruptcy in 2008, which was the largest in U.S. history, an event that proved that despite how dominant a force may be at one time, nothing is truly too big to fail. But I was also fascinated with the level of hubris, both from Terra's creator and the overzealous, impassioned followers who wanted the asset to work so badly, which led to a groupthink that turned out not only to be irrational, but dangerous, since many of these supporters were high-profile traders, large funds, and crypto influencers. Their advocacy on Terra's behalf dazzled amateur and even extremely well-informed investors, despite some naysayers who cautioned that something wasn't quite adding up. Now, at the top of our conversation, I asked Professor Mali Khan, why do people invest in cryptocurrency and what are the factors that make it so relevant in today's times? There's a few different things. The most obvious is that whoever invested in many of these projects when they first launched made a lot of money off of them, a lot more than one would have made if you invested in, say, the stock market and certainly far more than if you just kept your money in the bank in this uh, decade or so of low interest rates that we have. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that there are features of both the technology and the currencies that it enables that are generally appealing to all sorts of people. And these include things like being technology forward. Uh, Cryptocurrencies are in some ways the first financial products that were invented for the digital era. Probably one of the most common misconceptions about crypto is that it's just a get-rich-quick scheme. But aside from that, the large majority of crypto investors believe in the importance of having currency that's decentralized, because the way that we transact right now is heavily reliant on a third-party intermediary and our trust on that third party. So the crypto community believes that by removing this middleman, we can transact without relying on any single establishment, thereby realizing several benefits that include security, equality, and freedom. This community believes that currency needs to be progressive and the power put in the hands of the end user, not the big financial institutions. Most of the traditional financial system might look digital, but it was actually architected long before there was an internet or an iPhone. Other features of the technology that people find appealing is this idea of decentralization and community control. So if we compare uh, something like Bitcoin to, say, the U.S. dollar, Uh, The biggest differences are that the dollar is issued by one centralized entity, that's the U.S. government, via the Federal Reserve, and then the dollar is owned and moved around via a relatively small number of very large financial institutions. 
Bitcoin, on the other hand, is issued by a protocol. It's really just issued by code. And then that code is governed by a pretty broad and pretty global community of people and companies. And whereas with the dollar, a dozen or so Federal Reserve officials decide things like how much of it is going to be printed, and then a dozen or so financial institutions control how the money moves around, Bitcoin, the, the creation of it and the inflation of it is set by an algorithm. Uh, and then the ownership and movement is enabled by this global community of literally uh, thousands of companies and millions of individuals, each of which contributes a big or small amount to how it all evolved. Back in 2018, Joe Kwan, a 30-year-old graduate from Stanford University, launched a venture called Terraform Labs. It was based in Seoul, South Korea. Now, after a few brief stints as a software engineer at Microsoft and Apple, Kwan had a vision that he could modernize the financial system, allowing people the ability to conduct transactions without the reliance of a banking system. That same year, Kwan created Luna, a new cryptocurrency that Terraform Labs leveraged to raise a ton of money, more than $200 million from huge VC funds like Lightspeed Venture Partners, Pantera Capital, and Coinbase Ventures. Eventually, Luna's value exploded to more than $40 billion, sparking a new wave of interest and hype among day trading hobbyists and seasoned institutional investors. And then in 2020, Terraform then launched TerraUST, which was a stablecoin, a type of cryptocurrency designed to serve as a reliable means of exchange. Stablecoins are typically pegged to a stable asset like the U.S. dollar and are not supposed to fluctuate in value like other cryptocurrencies. For simplicity's sake, picture it like this. One stable coin is equivalent to one dollar. This idea now leads to a question, which is, well, how do you make some kind of a blockchain-enabled cryptocurrency pegged to the dollar? The original approach, which has always been the most popular approach to this day, is some company takes actual dollars and deposits them at a bank and then issues units of a token or cryptocurrency that are redeemable for those dollars, with the idea being that as long as people are confident that their coin could always be sent back to this company for actual dollars, then it'll be worth a dollar. This is a very old idea. It's no different than if you think of a money order, a traveler's check, a prepaid debit card, even your Venmo balance, right? Like people say, oh, well, I have a $100 Venmo balance. What does that mean? It means that Venmo or PayPal, the company that owns it, has taken $100 and stores it somewhere, probably a bank. You can make digital payments now within their ecosystem. And then if you ever want, you tell Venmo, hey, I want to take my money out. Please send actual $100 to my bank account. This idea works for stablecoins. The complaint that certain crypto purists have had against it is that it's not fully decentralized. 
According to Professor Mali Khan, the complaint that certain crypto purists had about pegging the value of crypto to something like a U.S. dollar was that it wouldn't be decentralized since it would still be reliant on the banking system, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of cryptocurrencies. In contrast, Terra was an attempt to make decentralized stablecoin work. However, it was still considered pretty risky even by the standards of experimental crypto technology because it wasn't backed by cash or treasuries or other traditional assets. Its value would be derived solely from algorithms that linked its value to Luna. Essentially, he was using one coin he created to drive the valuation of another. Now, you may or may not have heard of Terra, but you definitely have heard of Bitcoin, which emerged around 12 years ago as the first ever cryptocurrency in the world. To put it in context, one Bitcoin was worth 40 cents in 2010, and that same coin is now worth $24,000 in 2022. Yeah, to understand the potential appeal of something like Terra, um, we need to go back a little bit. Um, and, and where as something like Bitcoin, while it's appreciated over the decades twice of its life, it's always been extremely volatile. There have been multiple periods where the price has gone up two, four, sometimes even 10 times from what it was a year earlier and then proceeded to collapse by 50, 70, even 90%. So that might make Bitcoin appealing as a speculative asset, something that people want to invest in or trade. It really limits its utility as money, as a currency that people might use, say, in their day-to-day lives to um, buy a cup of coffee or pay a friend for lunch. So for the last five or six years, there has been this new idea of what in the industry we call the stablecoin. Um, stablecoins are actually, to put it simply, just fiat currency, like the dollar, that uses this underlying blockchain infrastructure to move around. And the idea there is that you can realize many of the features of blockchain, like having a natively digital, global, 24-7 payment system that anyone anywhere could access, but then because it is a stable coin, because somehow this coin has its value tied to the dollar, then it's more useful for day-to-day commerce. Now, Quan's idea was to create an algorithmic stable coin using his Luna to mint his Terra UST, to stabilize it whenever it loses its one-to-one peg to the dollar. Why that was important is that it provided a way for users to convert it back and forth to the dollar at any point. Doquan and Terra were not the first to attempt what we now in the industry call an algorithmic stablecoin. And I'll explain in a second why it's called an algorithmic stablecoin. But the idea there is that you have two different tokens or assets. One of them is the stablecoin, the dollar coin that is pegged. And then the other one is some other cryptocurrency that can be swapped for this back and forth in real time in a manner that preserves stability. And the simplest way to do that is to say, 
Whoever owns the stablecoin can always redeem it for a dollar's worth of this other cryptocurrency whose value might be one dollar. It needs to be at least worth a dollar per unit. But you know, it could be five dollars, a hundred dollars, a million dollars. So it creates this circular relationship between the stablecoin and the backing asset. And again, the idea here is that people will trust the stablecoin because they are confident that they can always redeem it for a dollar's worth of this other coin. And then there's technology and an algorithm in the middle that ensures that users can always convert back and forth. And should the stablecoin actually stay stable and grow in appeal, then the algorithm could work in the other way in that people will purchase the cryptocurrency and convert it to dollars as a means of creating more stable coins. Terra would go on to garner tons of followers and supporters for its concept from the investment side and from the players within the crypto world. But what happened next is what sent Terra into the stratosphere. The Terra team introduced one where anyone who acquired some of their stablecoin and deposited in something called Anchor. You can think of Anchor as like a blockchain-based bank that facilitates borrowing lending between different users. But the depositors, the savers in Anchor, were able to earn a 20% annual rate of return on what was supposedly a dollar. And this at a time where those of us who had dollars in the bank know you were, any, you were actually earning 0% interest. That 20% yield initially turned out to be like the killer app for Terra and its stable coin. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In April of 2021, Luna's value peaked to $116, making a ton of new young millionaires out of humble day traders. A community of retail traders formed around the coin, basically worshiping Quan as a hero. Even Mike Novogratz, a billionaire investor who invested in Terraform Labs, showed his support by getting a Luna tattoo on his arm, a wolf howling at the moon. Quan wasn't immune to his own hype either. He shared on social media that his newborn daughter would be named Luna. And those were just some of the notable crazy things that people did to celebrate their newfound prosperity. 
In droves, investors continue buying Terra, especially after the 20% yield. As Professor Mali Khan explained, anyone who bought Terra would immediately generate a 20% return off of the borrowing and lending platform called Anchor. Now, when this opportunity was announced, many critics immediately compared it to a Ponzi scheme because it wasn't mathematically possible for Terra to give such a high return to all of its investors. Although some Terra team members acknowledged this to be the case, they also equated it to a marketing spend for Terraform Labs. They argued that it was to raise awareness, not dissimilar to what Uber and Lyft did when they offered massively discounted rides when their platforms first launched. But Doquan, well, he hit back harder. In a series of tweets, he continued to tout the potential of Luna, but also trash-talking anyone who doubted the validity of his business. In one case, when someone questioned how his business could have been economically viable, he responded with a tweet, I don't debate the poor. In another instance, a founder of a blockchain company called Paxos cast doubt on Luna's underlying technology. And Quan responded by insulting him on Twitter with, quote, WTF is Paxos, referring to him and his project as nobodies. The problem with any kind of confidence scheme, especially as it grows in size, is that any kind of outside event that makes anyone question the validity of the thing could start a chain reaction that leads to a collapse. And what happened with Terra is that it grew bigger and bigger at a time when crypto prices in general were starting to fall. And confidence in everything in crypto, including Bitcoin, was starting to diminish somewhat. But that was enough to lead to a group of people, we don't know who they are, to initially decide to pull out. And the way you pull out of something like the USD stablecoin is that you take your dollar coin and you say that you would like to convert it back to the backing asset, which was the Luna cryptocurrency. And the problem there is that when this conversion happens, which the algorithm facilitates, the system has to print more Luna, literally, by printing money, in order to make these investors whole. So now the supply of Luna has gone up, and as everybody knows, whether we're talking about central bank printing money or companies issuing more and more stock, when supply goes up, price goes down. So as the price of Luna began to fall, suddenly the backing asset is not worth as much. This leads to a second group of stablecoin owners to lose confidence. So then they decide to take their coin and redeem it for Luna, which the system has no choice but to accommodate by printing more Luna. In May of 2022, the market began to experience a massive pullback where people were offloading their Terra and as a result, flooding the market with more Luna. And as the law of economics say, when supply goes up and demand goes down, so does its value. This activity caused the Luna Terra crash and in what many called a death spiral, seeing the Luna plunge from $116 to just 12 cents. This time, Quan fell silent with neither an explanation or venomous comeback to be found. More or less, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a sort of confidence game that because 
these stable coins don't ultimately have something like dollars in the banking system backing them. They only maintain stability as long as a large group of people are confident in them. And the bigger the coin gets, the more units of it are created, the more people you need to participate in this confidence game. And one of the, one of the areas where I think the still quants of the world are culpable is that they did everything they could in Twitter and social media to perpetuate the confidence by talking about the project in this very arrogant way, you know, dismissing any kind of criticism, promising people the world. And that sucked in a lot of amateur participants who then ended up holding the bag when the whole thing collapsed. It was a hard lesson for many to learn. Just because something has a tremendous market value at one point in time doesn't necessarily mean it will retain that value. And like that old adage you were told since you were little, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean that you should. The ultimate lesson in this is that even in something as different and experimental as crypto, If it's too good to be true, then it definitely is. And now some of our listeners might think, well, this is a world where we're talking about things that go up 5-10x and then crash all the time. So is is a 20% rate of return per year necessarily too good to be true? And the answer in this context is yes because we're talking about what was supposedly dollars. It's one thing to tell someone that hey, if you invest in Bitcoin, you might be able to make several times your money in a couple of years with the understanding that as it has done this year it might also lose half of its value in the span of a month so it's risk and reward what made the terror situation particularly precarious was that the headline was you can own something that's like owning dollars in the bank but also earn 20% a year interest in it. And that was a promise too far. Another thing to ponder was could Doquan's boisterous arrogance have put a target on his coin's back? Because considered this, only days before Terra's collapse, Quan spoke with a popular streamer about the overall crypto market, and he said that he quote, founded entertainment in watching 95% of the industry startups get eradicated, end quote. It's not a stretch to the imagination that Quan's patronizing attitude and disdain towards his competitors and peers could have made him an easy target for attack. So the other interesting thing is that there was a lot of speculation at the time that the initial drop, the initial loss of confidence was not a coincidence of just people being more conservative because the price of other coins was falling but was it was a deliberate attack that there were certain nefarious actors who because they knew how tenuous this whole thing was started the chain reaction in order to benefit possibly because they had done something like short the luna uh, the luna cryptocurrency and there's some small evidence like the timing of when things began to fall apart uh, it was on a weekend and how uh liquidity first started to be drained there's some evidence that this might have been an attack and a lot of the victims of all of this 
latched on to that. However, there's an important thing to note here, which is that the whole point of everything in the crypto world, going back to Bitcoin itself, was to create financial situations that stand alone, that are viable and secure and maintain their value in the face of constant attack. In fact, when people like me teach students how something like Bitcoin is designed to work, we walk them through how, because it's decentralized, because there's no government or corporation is in charge, you have to assume that this is the internet. There are always thieves and hackers that try to break things. They're going to break your solution. And the remarkable thing about Bitcoin is that it's managed to survive and thrive uh, in the open internet for over a decade. So to me, the question of whether Terra was originally attacked or not is irrelevant. Let's make something very clear, though. Quan isn't the victim here. His supporters were. And we're not talking about the big funds whose losses were a drop in the bucket compared to their overall portfolio. The life savings of many Terra and Luna investors vanished in a matter of days. On the Terra Luna subreddit, people poured out their emotions, with some even writing that they were contemplating suicide. I'm going through some of the darkest, most severe mental pain in my life. It still doesn't seem real that I lost $180,000, one person posted. The sudden calamitous crash of Luna and Terra UST is a stark reminder for investors everywhere. Someone will always be left holding the bag when something too good to be true falls apart. What is the social responsibility of the public when companies like Crypto.com and others touted supporters that include Hollywood celebrities like Matt Damon and Reese Witherspoon and even Gwyneth Paltrow and top athletes as they make these lofty comparisons to the arrival of crypto, to that of the beginning of time when we invented aviation and spaceflight. It's easy to typecast the people that hurt Terra as wealthy investors insulated from real-world consequences, but the reality is that most of them were just people like you and me who bought into a dream only to watch it turn into a nightmare. And just like the Lehman debacle, the repercussions and the pain spread far and wide. Perhaps it's too early to tell where all this will land and how it will end up, or if this will actually fall on par with the destruction at the level of Lehman Brothers. Will there be tighter regulations? Will there be bigger falls in the future within the crypto ecosystem? But despite all of these questions, one thing is for sure. Just like Wall Street after 2008, the crypto industry is never going to be the same again. Special thanks to Amit Malikan for his contributions to this episode and sharing his expertise on what led to the downfall of the Terra Project. And thank you for tuning in this week to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we all can learn from the greatest mistakes. The Great Fail is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. 
The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Connect with us at The Great Fail on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that we can continue bringing you more episodes. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. I must confess, I did what I did, not my life's a mess. I must-